Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chetham, and this is a podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of our lives. We're going to continue the Road to the Trial series today with Danny Moreno. She is back before she runs OCC, which is one of the biggest trail ultra races in the world, is the 50K race of UTMB weekend over in Chamonix, France. And we talk all about that, her training, uh, some things that she's expecting for the race, and just how deep this field is. It is an incredible field that Danny's going to be racing against. But hey, she's also an incredible runner. So she stacks up well against all of these people. So it'll be exciting to see how it shakes out. Before we get into it, I do want to say thank you to Lagoon. I love these pillows so much. They help me sleep so well at night. And on the rare occasions when we we go away when on a family vacation uh, a couple times this summer, I didn't have my pillow I noticed it. So if you go to lagoonsleep.com, you can take the quiz. It's a five-minute quiz, a few questions, and it figures out exactly the kind of pillow that's perfect for you. And if you use code RAMBLING, you're going to save 15%. And I've had this pillow now for almost a year. It's perfect. I mean, it's just absolutely perfect. All I need is one pillow. I don't have to shuffle around with a couple pillows, try to get the fit just right. No more of that nonsense. Lagoon pillows or where it is at. So go to lagoonsleep.com and use code rambling to save 15% today. Now, let's get into it with Danny Moreno. All right, Danny Moreno is back. You were on the podcast a couple weeks ago detailing what's been going on with you in the kind of the later spring, early summer. And we hinted that you're going to be back on the show because you got to talk about your trip to Chamonix, UTMB, and OCC, the race you'll be doing uh, in about a week, week and a half. Uh, so this is really exciting stuff. So, Danny, first of all, thank you for coming on the show and coming to us all the way from France. When did you get out there? Yeah, thanks for having me again. Um, I got out here on Monday, and today is Thursday. So been here for three nights so far. Okay. And when you were planning your trip, what were some of the considerations that you took into account? I know some people have been over there for a while. Some people cut it a little bit closer. What are just the, some of the considerations that affected you personally? Yeah. So I was out here in July, actually. I did a race in Switzerland. Um, I believe it was like the weekend of the 16th or 17th, something around there. Um, and I came out a week, two weeks before that weekend. So a total of two weeks in, in Europe. Um, one week to be here in Chamonix before the hustle and bustle came for UTMB week, kind of get my bearings on me again. Um, then I went to the Switzerland race and then went home. And so for me to, I don't know, personally justify going, going back home and, you know, using those resources and stuff, I wanted to be home for at least four weeks. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's how I ended up where I was. And then on the tail end of it, I wanted to be, uh, here at least 10 days before, because personally, it takes me about three to four days to adjust to the time change. And you're a pro with that. And you've come over to Europe so many times, part of the Golden Trail World Series. As you mentioned, you've already, just, you've already done this like already this summer. So as someone who's done this many times, um, what's it like? How many days do you need to get used to the time change and things like that? Um, and then, you know, on, on top of that, obviously, like seeing the course and, and things of that nature. And we should say that you were on the podium last year for this race. So it's not like this is a new experience for you. Yeah, I've learned that, you know, three to four days to adjust to the time change. I usually find that I wake up around the same time as I'm adjusting. So I can usually get to bed. Uh, but between 2 and 4 a.m., I suddenly am awake. And I've learned through the various trips that that 
aligns with my dinner time back home. <laughs> so maybe my body's just used to eating at that time because I will have a full dinner and I, I still somehow get hungry here during that time. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, you know, what do you say? Kind of have messed with it a little bit here and there. And I've tried a week, um, and which gives me, you know, three or four days to get used to it. And then three days to kind of be in it. And I found that just felt too short. Um, whereas 10 days feels just about right. So it still gives me almost a week of being comfortable in the time zone. And also, you know, living at altitude and coming down to altitude, I also find that it, it feel it, I, it either is like you're here two days before and it's great, which if I was in the U.S., I'd probably do that. But since I'm flying and, you know, the compound of the time change and stuff like that, then it kind of switches to that like, yeah, seven to 12 day area where then I feel like I get another boost. Yeah. yeah and with UTMB, it being, you know, the, the kind of the grand, grand finale, because it makes it sound like it's the end of the season. For some people, it isn't. But like, the kind of, but with that being said. We'll just use that term. The grand finale of for so many international runners in the trail and ultra scene. How like what, what's it like just from like a social perspective? Like you must know like you this, these are all the people that you run with. You know again you have the Subhub podcast, so you talk about this stuff all the time. You interview people. Like is it any different just from like the socialness of all these people descending on this very small area and just wanting to see everybody, but at the same time you know, tapering and preparing for race day. So you're not overextended. Yeah, a hundred percent. I honestly think that's like probably 70% of it that you want to try and nail. Um, if you're a pro or someone who's, you know, an elite athlete trying to get into that top 10, top 15, maybe top 20. Um, the races are just, they continue to get more and more competitive, which means there's less and less room for error. Um, and yeah, for me, I, I love being a social butterfly, but I definitely have to, to tame myself. Um, and I actually find myself going on runs with either just my team or people that I already run with pretty regularly, <laughs> not really in, trying to catch up on a year's worth of life with people until post-race. Um, yeah, that's, you know, you, you kind of just have to be a little bit selfish. I mean, this is such this is such a big race uh, with a lot on the line for us uh, pros, especially. I feel like. Yeah, actually, that's that's a great point about like post race with that kind of vibe because you know you're running OCC, so it does give you a lag time. Like people are going to want to stay in town to see all of the races and things like that. Like, have you already planned out what your post race you know few days are going to look like in terms of like what you're planning on doing or people you want to see or just or when you're even leaving town yeah i'll leave the monday afterwards um yeah it's pretty cool we do get to go first which i really like actually um so i get to watch ccc and utmb um and then i'm going to be doing some stuff with free trail uh after occ uh so we'll have some time there um but yeah mainly for me the priority is like uh, cheering on teammates and cheering on people that I know that are racing. Oh, that's cool. So are you going to say what you're doing for free trail? I'm so excited to hear uh, as someone who like <laughs> someone who takes in all the yeah. free trail uh, content. Yeah. They're going to be doing like different live shows, but I'm doing like a post OCC show. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, so you're going to have to the post OCC show. That's interesting. I was wondering if you were going to be doing more of the CCC stuff or the UTMB stuff, just because like, you're going to be running OCC, which obviously gives you a unique um, perspective. But it's not like you're also going to be like, hey, 
Like, it's different, as you know, like, when you're in it, you don't know what's happening around you. Like, you just know what's happening, like, in your close vicinity. So, like, it would be interesting to see, like, what that's like for you after the fact. Because, like, you know, if you're not near somebody, how are you going to comment on it? But at the same time, like, you're going to have such a unique experience to bring to the table. Yeah, you know, I hope that there is grace that if I really don't feel like talking post-OCC, they're okay with that. It seems like they are. Um but yeah, for me, I guess it's just extra incentive to just get the most out of myself. But whatever the result is, obviously, like <laughs> a leading goal is to win. Um, but, you know, if shoot for the moon, land amongst the stars. If I end up on the podium, top five, you know, I'll still be really happy. If I'm not in the top five, then it's a matter of did I really get everything out of myself? Then I'd still be able to, to get up on that show for sure. <laughs> All right, so let's talk, before we talk about this year, just quickly about last year. So you were third last year. You were on the podium. Um, again, that's a tremendous result, and you had so many great results last summer. Um, with that said, how did you feel about how you ran that day and your execution on that day? And, you know, in terms of, like, if you could go back in, no race is perfect, but kind of, you know, if you had to give yourself a grade for the execution and fitness level and all of that, um, kind of how would you how would you go about that? Yeah, this is kind of funny because I I know that there's some runners that almost thrive on not being super analytical. Like the more ambiguity, the better. Um, but I, I love crunching numbers. I gain a lot of confidence from it. Um, and also knowing to distance myself if the fitness is not there. With that, with that being said, um, like a month ago, as we were kind of going into the last phase of my training, I kind of tore my own race apart, uh, split by split, climb by climb, downhill by downhill. And my conclusion was that it was actually a pretty good race. Um, I almost nearly even splitted the first half and the second half. Um, you know, if I was going to like really be hypercritical, uh, I was conservative in the beginning. And so even though I ran a really strong second half, I ran out of real estate um, to get that second or get closer to first. But, you know, and it is a strong, but I don't know if I would have had the fitness to do that. Like, I think I really believe that I ran a very good race for the fitness that I had going into it. Um, so when we're looking at improvements, it's like, the race course did change recently, um, so it's a little bit shorter this year by, I'm going to guess, like 15 minutes. It's like 2K, but we're talking trails here. <laughs> um, like, So some things will have to be adjusted, but for me, it was just improving on overall fitness, getting faster at climbing, getting faster at descending. Um, but yeah, I've always been pretty proud of my tactics, and I felt like OCC was a exemplary uh, instance of that last year. Um, so yeah, it's just about overall getting better going into this year. And we should say, and I should have said this before, that, that the o, an OCC is known just from like a rounding perspective as like as the 50K race of UTMP weekend. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. people are like, hey, how long is this race? Like, sorry, sorry, I didn't say it. Right. <laughs> um, all right. So again, so, so, so last year went, went very well you know, in terms of like how you analyze it after the fact and, um, you know, being on the podium is such a prestigious race as you're heading into this race from a fitness perspective, how are you feeling? And if you compare yourself to previous years, um, how are you comparing yourself in that regard? Yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. I think I've been, 
I'm much more, I've, I've always been critical, but I've been really critical on myself during this training cycle. Um, because I have such a strong passion for this race. I mean, why wouldn't I, right? I felt like I did such a good job, you know, was first American to ever get on the podium. Um, but I think because I love it so much is why I really wanted to try and nail everything. Um, and you know, we did, we did well, like the numbers don't lie. Like the training is much better (laughs) than last year. Uh, so now it's just, you know, applying the mentality to it. Uh, but with that being said, there's a, this, I think our race is stronger than last year's race. Um, you know, it's just, it's the tendency of the sport right now. Every time you step onto a line, whether it's small block marathon, Sagama, Sierra's now it's by default, we're just in that phase and growth that it's probably going to be best, the best there ever was, which (laughs) we love highlighting deepest field ever, most historic field ever, like highest rated runners. And, uh, yeah, this is just yet another one of that. Um, and what's also really cool is like, we are on the American side, like this is a legit group of, of women. This, this, I think, is almost our best representation of this distance for the American women right now. Uh, minus maybe two or three other women that I think could be here, but they're all out on injury right now. Um, but if you were to take the top 10, like seven or eight are here. Um, so that's, that's really cool. You know, to <laughs> last year I was like, I was the first, but I knew I wasn't going to be the last. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was like all five of the top, or five American women in the top 10. Um, so yeah, even I'm feeling strong in my fitness, but like, I still need to bring my A game because every, to me, everyone is fit on the line. Yeah. Right. I mean, shoot with, with all of these races and any major international race, whether it's, um, housed abroad or here in the U S I mean, that's kind of the name of the game, right? You, you have to have the fitness and you have to execute, which is also, I guess, assuming, that's why you go to the race in the first place to really, you know, compete against the best in the world. And you've proven yourself up to the task time and time again. Um, let's just say again, this is this is the list that's currently on the UTMB website, which I don't know how is up to date. You can illuminate. I'm sure you're aware of who's racing and not racing and who might pull out. So it's uh, in terms of the American women. It's you. It's Jennifer Lichter, Ali McLaughlin. Rachel Drake, scrolling down here, Heather Jackson, MK Sullivan, your co-host over at the Subhub Podcast, Peyton Thomas, Natalie Sandoval, and Katie Scheid. I mean, if it was just all of you and nobody else in terms of elite runners, that would be a, a fantastic race, right? If it was just like, it's only these 10 people. And then it's a bunch of like amateur runners, like kind of like a Western States, right? It's like, you get like the crumb to the crumb and then you have like, the, all the people were in the lottery, right? Like if it was just that, this race would be stacked to say nothing of the international field. So with that said, you're no underdog. You were, you have, you, you were on the podium last year. You have been on many podiums. When you look at this kind of group, how do you frame yourself compared to, or within um, a field like this? Um, it's hard to say because I don't – I know a couple of those women personally. Some of them I just know from, you know, passing by conversation or social media interactions and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, I'd, I'd like to think that I can compete with any of them. But some of them I haven't even competed against even though they're American. 
Um, so I'm excited to toe the line with them. And, and again, because it's so competitive, like some of them I've beaten, they've also beaten me. <laughs> um, so it's just a matter of, of who, who shows up best. And, you know, you, you try and follow the science or I think most of us do, you taper, you rest, but it sometimes still is you're rolling at least a couple of dice on race day, uh, depending on you just when you wake up, you, you kind of feel it in your legs and you're like, all right, <laughs> it's here. It's not. And if it's not, you fight. Um, and if it's here, you're like, all right, let's go. <laughs> now I would never expect you to divulge all of your strategy before the race, because that would just be silly. With that being <laughs> said, are there certain people in the field that you see yourself as like, all right, I typically race similar to this person. Or like, I wouldn't be, or like you wouldn't be surprised if like in the first half you were, you know, fairly aligned pacing wise with people in the race and maybe the opposite of the spectrum. And you don't have to mention these people who you'd be like, all right, this person usually goes out way harder in the beginning than I do. Or conversely, you know, I go harder than them, but are there, are there people in the race that you see yourself like, all right, not that you're going to pace off of them, but you can see yourself having kind of similar first halves or whatever uh, to them in this race. Hey folks, let's talk about vacation races. So vacation races host half marathons, ultra marathons, and trail running festivals at national parks around the country in week-long running adventures all around the world. These global adventures offer daily 7 to 12K trail runs in the morning and afternoon activities that include high adventure things like glacier treks, zip lining, whitewater rafting, or cultural activities like wine tasting, falconry, his, uh, historic tours, cooking classes, just these things, they offer a, just such a wide range of things. If you're worried about pace, don't be. They require runners to maintain around a 20-minute mile pace. So as long as, you can, as long as you're basically moving with purpose, you're going to be just fine. These adventures are all all-inclusive, which means hotels, in-country transportation, meals, drinks, activities, and swag are all covered in the trip. And they just announced their full 2024 calendar, which you're going to want to check out. Again, I know we just started 2023, but you got to plan these trips way in advance. And that's exactly what they're trying to do. They have 11 different destinations. Examples are like Alaska, Costa Rica, Croatia, Ecuador, Iceland, Ireland, Japan, New Zealand, Patagonia, so many. It really is remarkable. You can go check them out at vacationraces.com. New customers can use Rambling 200 for $200 off any global adventure trip that is not currently sold out. Also, you can use code Rambling15 for 15% off any of the half marathons or ultra marathon adventures that are not currently sold out. So remember, it's code Rambling200 for the global adventures and Rambling15 for 15% off the half marathon or ultra marathons. I'm so glad you brought this up because I was going to get to this question in a little bit. That's why I'm like, I'm like, I didn't have it phrased right. So I'm kind of like filibustering here how I want to phrase it. Um, it's kind of hard to say because I think when I have landed or I know when I've landed on like my bigger podiums, um, I'm usually not following other people. I like really stick to my race. And again, I, that's a big reason why I'm so proud of OCC last year is like, I mean, I, at one point I was like in 25th, you know, off the start line, worked my way up. And then there were certain moments where, you know, I was toggling between like seventh and 12th, seventh and 12th. And like, you know, those women were going past me and I was just really comfortable with that um, because I was just sticking to what I knew my strengths were and like what I kind of, digested the course profile to be um so yeah 
And honestly, a lot of those women and the international women uh, who I've raced, uh, I'm kind of always by different people, to be honest. <laughs> That's kind of the really fun thing about trail and mountain running is like nearly no course profiles the same. They might have like some overall characteristics, like the technicality, where the altitude is, um, the type of the type of climbs they are, but it, they nearly are all have also originality. Um, and so that's why it's kind of <laughs> fun. You're like, all right, if it's a downhill course, I might be by this person. Um, if it's a flatter course, I might be by this person. So it's just, again, going back to that fitness, like we're all fit. Um, but also a really fun aspect of trail running is like, <laughs> as weird as it sounds, like people will have years where they're, this was my best descending year. And for some reason, my climbing legs weren't here. Probably something in training, but it happens. Um, this year, I'm a really strong climber, but the brain is just not working on, on the flats or something, the transition. So yeah, it, it'll be a race day thing where I'm kind of figuring it out. Um, I feel like I do know maybe some strengths and weaknesses um, of my competitors, but back at me, like they know the same of me too. Yeah. As you mentioned, every one of these courses is, is inherently different and lends itself to certain kinds of racing and certain kind of racers. So what kind of course is OCC if you're going to categorize it as a certain race? And to put in perspective, like listening to you and MK talking about Sears and all, I, I love the, the way you guys talked about, about that course and breaking down like every little bit of it. I'm not going to ask you to do that here, but just generally speaking, what kind of course is this and what kind of racer does it favor? Yeah, OCC is your classic all mountain course. Um, it's not on the scale of technicality of sky running is the most technical and something like Auburn, California is the least technical in, in the scheme of things. OCC is not quite at sky running, um, but it's definitely past the midway point, in my opinion. Uh, it is the most technical of all the races during the week too um because we do take a different route from our halfway point which is in trient which all of the races go through occ ccc and utmb but they take a different route that like swings higher before the last climb whereas we kind of go through this valley where we reach the highest point which is cold to bomb um but yeah occ has kind of like four major climbs but they're all so different um so you need to be good you need to be able to climb anything and pretty much descend anything um, and they're all kind of long, roughly like two to five miles up, uh, the longest climb being, you know, close to five miles, maybe, um, and about like two to five miles down, all kind of like mixed variety and stuff like that. Um, it's also a race that like, <laughs> it's just, it's really hard because you literally are assembling the best, like you said, 50K runners that distance. And those runners can grind for four, five, six hours. Um, so you really can't let your foot off the pedal. To me, this is kind of like that Zagama Mont Blanc, which are both four hours races, but you're holding that pace for close to five to six hours. Um, but a very, very special thing about OCC, personally not a fan, <laughs> is you can get no aid at all. So most of the time in 50Ks, like you can get aid at least at some point from somebody. Um, but in this race, it's all self-sufficient. Um, so you're the one taking out your bottles, filling them up. You can some, you can hand them to the volunteers, which I learned last year. Um, but you're taking all your fuel with you, which you can imagine like for six hours is pretty heavy to start. Um, so yeah, that, that to me is kind of like a big uh, factor for a lot of people. 
All right, let's talk about fueling before I, I do have a question for you about like how patient can someone be in a race like this with this with this kind of stacked field. Um, so nutrition wise, how does this race compare, especially when you have to carry all your own stuff out there? Um, I'm sorry, start with all of your all your stuff. How does it compare to other races you've done? And uh, similar to that, like you you race Boston in the in the in the spring, you know, comparing it to Boston as well, just in terms of like the kinds of calories and carbs that you're taking in from a gel perspective versus liquid nutrition and things of that nature yeah it's like it's not quite long enough where you're consuming real food or getting really diverse with your fueling strategies um at least for you know the top 100 runners or so um because there it is released in waves and stuff like that um and so most of the people are taking gels or some sort of like drink mixture, um, water. A lot of people take electrolytes, maybe some salt tabs. Um, but yeah, for me, I'll, I'll be doing a mix of drinking my calories and eating my calories. And it's pretty funny. Um, I actually didn't start drinking my nutrition until this year. And a lot of my friends are flabbergasted by the fact that I've been carrying so much food for so long. Uh, to me, it was just always much easier. But yeah, drinking nutrition has been a game changer for me. It's the first, I did it for the first time in a race at Iker, which I would argue is probably like one of my top three races, even though it was kind of like a little bit off the, the mainstream series grid. Um, and I just like nutritionally felt really good. Um, so I just kept applying that to my training once I got back home really trying to refine it, tweak some things, had a couple rough days when I was tweaking, I can't think, tweaking it. um, And then, yeah, and then felt like, yeah, but it also just, you know, depends on the weather too, because like with Boston, I learned a hard lesson this year that, you know, if you're running in the rain, um, you're not going to drink as much probably. Um, At least, you know, it's a little different because you're running so fast, but since there is some kind of rainy potential weather on the forecast, that's definitely something I'm going to keep an eye on and, and consider when I'm packing that final night for the day. Now, do you have to plan your you know, some of your nutrition choices in terms of like when to take them based on the elevate like the topography of the course? Like, are, are, you, are you in a situation where like you don't want to have to take in say like some solid calories like a gel or something like that like while you're descending but maybe you're more comfortable doing it while you're ascending or maybe it's vice versa but do you ever have to plan like based on you know the gradient of the course for um, nutrition choices um for me personally no but i do know a lot of people that do um i know people that time their nutrition based on the length of the climbs when the longest climb of the race is um but i've always kind of been eating constantly personally. And like I said, up until <laughs> maybe just a couple of months ago, I used to eat all the time and, and it never really bothered me except there was one race where it bothered me, but the heat was like close to 98 degrees Fahrenheit. And I left my personal nutrition at home on accident. So I was just trying something new. So that was a pretty rough day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, besides that, I'm kind of used to eating and Honestly, I'm one of those people, too, that kind of eats as I'm leaving the house on my way to the run. I just have always been like that. Uh, So I feel fairly confident, knock on wood, (laughs) in my gut 
in the biome and it's like ability to handle, you know, sloshiness and stuff like that. That's great gut training, right? I mean, it's probably super uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. for, for some people. I would like definitely, definitely don't try this for your first time before your long run. But I would yeah. say like that's, it's like kind of like really good gut training at the same time. Yeah. All right. In terms of a racy execution stuff, you mentioned before, like you're going to run your own race. And last year, you obviously were pretty patient. If you're, you know, in the, you know, low to mid twenties, early in the race, come back to podium. With that said, obviously, if you play that, you know, take it out easier, catch people later in a race strategy, you know, the one caveat is you can't get so far back, even if you're running your own race, that you just run out of real estate and you just can't quite get there. Even if you're feeling good, you know, either because you didn't leave enough time or because people are running so well up front, it just takes longer to get to them. So are there certain like demarcations in terms of like, all right, I can't let these people get X far ahead, whether that's a time perspective or kilometers or miles or, or anything like that? Depends on which part of the course it is, to be honest, and how far we are into the race. Um, I think at the halfway point, first still had like, at that point, it was a different leader. Um, and she had like 12, 13 minutes on me. And then the podium had 10 minutes on me because they were about two or three minutes off of her. Um, and yeah, honestly, it, it like didn't face me at that point. Um, because I knew we still had a lot to go, even even though we're all running hecka fast at, by that point still. Um, so I felt pretty comfortable with like a 10 minute lead. This year, there's definitely some individuals I probably wouldn't wanna give that much time to. Um, but again, that's just going back to the fitness card last year. I wasn't sure with it being my longest race at that point, if I could sustain that speed for a little over six hours. Um, whereas this year I'm coming in with a higher threshold, I believe. But last year I was like, but I could definitely pick it up for three hours. And so that's kind of what I was waiting for is like, when we get to three hours, I'm just going to start picking it up and see what I can do. Um, and that's basically what, how that happened last year. So this year it'll probably be more even pace, but I also wouldn't be surprised with even my even pace. Uh, there's some really exciting women ahead of me that I admire. <laughs> I'm so excited for this. That's for sure. All right. And I will say, people who haven't watched these races, first of all, where have you been? These races are, while they're in the Alps, they're just so fun to watch. The live streams are absolutely phenomenal, whether it's OCC, CCC, or UTMB, the, the full race. It's just fan they're fantastic. So people got to get out there and watch them. Um, with that said, I just want to hear what you're thinking about for CCC and you know, and, and UTMB. Should I say UTMB, or, the, or am I saying that wrong in terms of like the, the full race around the mountain? Yeah, UTMB. Okay, all right. Because right. I think it was UTMB weekend, but then I like double check myself. I'm like, wait, no, it's UTMB weekend. The race isn't called UTMB. There's five different races. Anyway, all right. <laughs> so I'm glad I was all, I was second guessing myself, but I, I had it right the whole time. What am I doing? Anyway, <laughs> so with CCC and UTMB, I don't need you to go through every single athlete, but are there certain people or storylines that you're really looking forward to over the weekend? Yeah, um, I, I have some, you know, friends in all the races. Uh, so I'll spare the audience going into my personal relationships, but from like a professional standpoint, um, the women's UTMB race, I'm extremely excited about, uh, Courtney DeWalter goat, I would argue maybe even goat for of all mountain runners, uh, with tying with Killian. Um, she 
she's done Western, got a course record there. Has won, ran Hard Rock three weeks later, got a course record there. And then the big question, if she is she going to go for UTMB? And then she announced that she was going to. Um, and she's such a gamer that I really believe she wouldn't sign up unless she really thought she was going to win. She's kind of a, that type of person. Um, but with that being said, like, there's some, there's a handful of women that are outstanding. Um, but some of my ex- other favorites are Sabrina Stanley, two-time winner of Hard Rock, which is a very similar mountainous race. Uh, she's also one of my Terex teammates. Ruth Croft, who, like, <laughs> is, like, my, if I were to have a poster on a wall growing up of a mountain runner, she would probably be the poster as embarrassing as that is to say, if I was like a young child following the sport. Um, I just think she, I really admire her career. Um, and I've taken a lot of inspiration from it myself personally. And so it's her first UTMB. Um, and then, uh, there's also Blondine Leandrel, which she's this French woman and, her crazy storyline. It's also her first UTMB, but in the last two years, she's gotten a crown at CCC, set the course record there. And prior to that, on the old OCC course, she won OCC and set the course record there. So in, in the last two years, she won OCC, got the course record, won CCC, got the course record. And now her third race is UTMB. So if she pulls off a win, like that will cement her GOAT status. You know, like no one has ever done that. Um, so Queen of Chamonix. Yeah, she would be an interesting storyline to me. So, like, I would really love to see any of those four women win, you know. And then if it was some podium combo of them, awesome. And then um, one more that I'll throw in there is Esther Kasag. I forget how to say her last name, but she recently got third at Western States. And she's just, like, this mom that's been in the sport for more than a handful of years and, like, just been – incrementally getting better and better um, and so i just think she has like a really cool story too for sure speaking of cool stories i interviewed um jackie manhart yesterday who just won the leadville 100 and that, that episode oh, just came nice. out like a few hours ago what cool. an awesome person that is have you had a chance to, to ever spot i know she hasn't been on the subhub podcast but have you ever had a chance to, to talk with her i know she's not like in the professional ranks but you know winning by two hours at leadville is certainly a huge accomplishment and it was it was really cool to see as someone who's like all right like not that she's not a, you know she's obviously an elite runner but she's not a pro runner so like this podcast which is often about dedicated amateur runners it was like hey, hey isn't this cool yeah, no, that's awesome. That was it. That was really cool to see. Huge congrats to her. I haven't talked, but I haven't spoken with her personally now. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I'll tell you what. I know it's not like subhub vibe because again, it's, it's the Leadville 100. <laughs> but at the same time, like, hey, if you're looking for ever, ever looking for someone to interview, a great yeah. interview. That is for <laughs> sure. Like she was so she was so easy to talk to. So I don't know. This is this is now devolved into podcaster to podcaster <laughs> talk, which is usually a sign that we should get going. But Danny. Thank you so much for joining us. I can't wait to see you race again and to then, you know, catch up afterwards. Also, people check out Free Trail to see everything Danny's doing on the Subhub and then during race weekend. So good luck. Thank you. Thanks for having me.